Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Secretary Acosta was not able to list any regrets about that Epstein plea deal. The lead starts right now. The Trump cabinet secretary who once brokered a secret plea deal with an alleged child rapist today says don't blame him as President Trump pushes him out in front of the microphones to defend himself. Another major Democratic candidate courting AOC is AOC, the key to the primary race or just the formula for firing up Republicans. Plus, now that's a Brexit. President Trump gets his way. The ambassador who privately called him incompetent and insecure is out, but I guess we're Still cool with Kim Jong-un and the Saudi crown prince? This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with breaking news. Just minutes ago, in an attempt to keep his job and defend his reputation, Secretary of Labor Alex Acosta tried to defend himself from a rising chorus of calls for his resignation, given that 2008 plea agreement he agreed to. Today called the sweetheart deal for accused child predator, trafficker, and child rapist Jeffrey Epstein. Acosta was urged to hold this press conference by President Trump, two sources tell CNN. Acosta has faced scathing criticism from Epstein's many victims who were minors at the time of Epstein's alleged brutality. They are offended but by what they see as a soft punishment for the wealthy, well-connected Epstein. And as covered in an award-winning Miami Herald expose, the, quote, extraordinary plea agreement that would conceal the full extent of Epstein's crimes and the number of people involved. The deal, quote, essentially shut down an ongoing FBI probe into whether there were more victims and other powerful people who took part in Epstein's sex crimes. Earlier this year, a federal judge ruled that Acosta and his office, by failing to notify the victims about the plea agreement ahead of time, broke the law. But Acosta today was not only unrepentant, he portrayed himself as something of the hero in the Epstein affair, claiming that the state of Florida would have let Epstein go free had he and his team not come in wearing their federal white hats and saved the day, ensuring that Epstein at least went to jail for some time and was labeled a registered sex offender. As CNN's Pamela Brown now reports, Acosta insisted today he did nothing wrong and he refused to commit to meet with any of Epstein's victims. I absolutely welcome this New York prosecution. It is the absolutely right thing to do. Embattled Labor Secretary Alex Acosta defending himself this afternoon over a controversial plea deal he oversaw that allowed multimillionaire Jeffrey Epstein to avoid federal sex crime charges, saying he intervened in the case to give Epstein a stiffer punishment. And that's what the prosecutors of my office did. They insisted that he go to jail and put the world on notice that he was and is a sexual predator. The 2008 case against Epstein alleges he coerced dozens of young girls, some as young as 14, into having sex with him. The Palm Beach State Attorney's Office was ready to let Epstein walk free. No jail time. Nothing. Prosecutors in my former office found this to be completely unacceptable. 
and they became involved. But prosecutors inked a deal letting him avoid a public federal trial, register as a sex offender, and serve just 13 months in state prison, where he was allowed to leave during the day. Acosta now says he was faced with two difficult options as the U.S. attorney. Plead guilty to more serious charges, charges that required jail time, registration, and restitution, or we'd roll the dice and bring a federal indictment. Standing here today, are you basically saying that you feel that you did everything you could, you got the best deal you could get, and you have no regrets? We believe that we proceeded appropriately. CNN confirms Acosta's statement comes after Trump ordered him to explain himself publicly. My relationship with the president's outstanding. Uh, he has, I think, very publicly um, made clear that, that I've got his support. And while the White House is publicly defending Acosta... Why are you talking about Alex Acosta, not Jeffrey Epstein? One of Trump's confidants telling CNN he doesn't believe Acosta will last. I don't think he'll be gone in, you said, six weeks or shorter. I think it'll be in a relatively quick period he will be gone. Meantime, Trump is now distancing himself from Epstein, who he once described as a terrific guy who likes beautiful women as much as I do. I knew him like everybody in Palm Beach knew him. I had a falling out with him a long time ago. I don't think I've spoken to him for 15 years. Uh, I wasn't a fan. Epstein was also a frequent visitor at Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort years ago. But an attorney for the Trump organization tells CNN Trump banned him from the property, although he doesn't remember when or why. As for Epstein, who is facing new charges in a New York case, another accuser went public today, describing being raped by him as a teenager. Forcefully raped me, knew exactly what he was doing, and um, I don't think cared. What hurts even more so is that if I wasn't afraid to come forward sooner, then maybe he wouldn't have done it to other girls. Well, the White House has not provided any updates to an internal review of Acosta. A claim was underway in March. One source tells me the White House is referring to DOJ officials who are looking into whether there was any professional misconduct by Acosta. Today, the secretary said he would be willing to be interviewed by those investigators, but he remained defiant. He did nothing wrong. Jake? All right, Pamela Brown at the White House. Thanks so much. Uh, Joining me now are two former federal prosecutors, Elliot Williams and Elliot Honig. Uh, uh, Elliot, let me start with you. Uh, what, what do you make of Acosta's characterization and defense of the way his office handled the matter? Well, what we saw was Acosta essentially shift the blame to the line prosecutors in his office, the state prosecutors, and even to some extent the victims. Short of shaming them, he says, look, you know, they, they still have civil, uh, they can still file a civil suit against Epstein. What you didn't hear in there anywhere was a manager saying, I messed up. The buck stopped with me as the prosecutor and all of the evidence that's, that was available to New York or to the prosecutors in New York, or at least some of it, would have been available to him at the time. And so it's it was it's shockingly defensive in tone. And it's really amazing to see that there wasn't any sort of, you know, even, you know, you, you, uh, there was this question of, do you have any regrets? And he sort of punted on the question. And so it's, as a, again, as a leader, as a manager, as a principal, you just have to sometimes say, I had discretion and I used it poorly and I used it wrong. And he just didn't do it. Well, Ali, he, I mean, he might not think that he did anything wrong. Is it possible, is it in the realm of possibility that that was the best deal that the U.S. Attorney's Office could get in 2008? I think it's very unlikely that that was the best deal. 13 months 
for, for running an organized sex trafficking network of children, for molesting and raping children, 13 months is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what he should have gotten under the federal system. And this blame shifting to the state was complete nonsense. It doesn't matter if the state was willing to walk away. That's not the question. Did you do a little bit better than the state? The question is, what should he have gotten federally? And I think we're going to see the Southern District get way, way higher than 13 months. And Jake, just for comparison, 13 months is what someone gets in the federal system for about two grams of crack cocaine. That's about half a teaspoon. That's what 13 months is. That's not what a sexual predator should get in the federal system by any stretch. Yeah, and also on top of that, you know, you're just piggybacking on Ellie's point. There's dozens and dozens of victims. This isn't the kind of sexual assault case where literally it's the word of one victim adult against another. You, you had sympathetic victims and lots and lots and lots of them. And so the idea that they could, they felt that they could not have won at trial, if that's his argument, or they felt that they, you know, they, they just wouldn't have been successful. It just sort of seems foolish based on everything we know uh, that was available and certainly is available to us now. So this isn't a hindsight question. The evidence was largely there, and it's just a lot just doesn't fit together here, Jake. And, and Ellie um, Acosta said that many of the victims were scared and, and traumatized, refused to testify. Uh, he also said that victims are treated differently. He seemed to be uh, suggesting better today that there is less uh, victim shaming in the in the court system. Uh, Is any of that valid? Do you think that that uh, he has any case there? I really don't buy that at all, Jake. That part jumped out at me as being way off base. First of all, as a prosecutor, it is your job to win the trust and the comfort of the victims and to, to, to walk them through the process so that they're ready to testify. And second of all, this notion that we were sort of in a different headspace back in 2007 and we weren't ready to trust victims is complete nonsense. I know it firsthand because in 2007, when I was with the Southern District of New York, I did a trial of five defendants where our, our, the, the, basically the entirety of our evidence was we called 10 different victims of a sex trafficking ring, similar in many respects to this one. The jury heard them, the jury credited them, the jury believed them and convicted all the defendants of sex trafficking. So this idea that we weren't ready for this yet back in 2007, I'll tell you firsthand, is nonsense. But Elliot, let me just say, uh, to play devil's advocate quite literally, um, the, uh, the, the attorneys, uh, the actual devil's advocates, the uh, advocates for, for Epstein, uh, were Ken Starr, Jay Lefkowitz, uh, Alan Dershowitz, uh, really expensive, high-powered people doing all sorts of things to intimidate everyone involved in the case. I'm not saying illegally, but within the legal system. But, but, and, and they would, I'm sure, on the stand, try to destroy every one of the victims. Is there not a case to be made by somebody like Acosta that, look, uh, I, these, these girls were, as we know, incredibly vulnerable, a lot of them a step away from homelessness, according to the Miami Herald report, uh, and that it was a mismatch and that most important was getting him in jail and getting him as a registered sex offender. And that was the that was this decision he made. And, and maybe it doesn't stand up to scrutiny today. But at the time, he was trying to do the right thing. Is that possible? Yeah, I mean, look, you got him in jail, but he was able to go to work every day and continue you know, racking up uh, millions and millions of dollars and so on. But again, yes, he's entitled to lodge a defense, and his, and his attorneys, would it would have been in their right to attack the credibility of witnesses. Uh, that's what works in our system. But these are 14-year-old girls, and there were potentially dozens and dozens of them. And so at a certain point, yes, his high-powered attorneys would have attacked the credibility of the of the victims, 
But they're also very compelling victims, and it's a very compelling case with a lot of evidence. I mean, what this is exposing, I think, is, you know, there's inequalities in our system. Ellie pointed out the fact that, you know, for a a couple grams of crack rock, you'd still get that kind of uh, above 10-year sentence. And were this many other types of crime, to some extent, people wouldn't bat their eyes at someone going away for a much, much longer time. But I think the fact that we're even here talking about it shows that the way that society is willing to brush aside uh, sex, sex assault cases uh, and, and the plight of sex assault victims. It's, you know, so, yes, this is, this, I think this exposes inequities in our system more than anything else. All right, Elliot and Ellie, thank you so thank much you. for your expertise. Really appreciate it. Julie, joining me now on the phone right now is, is Julie K. Brown. She is the Miami Herald investigative reporter who broke the award-winning Epstein story and has continued to vigorously report on it. Julie, uh, once again, uh, congratulations on bringing all of this horrific uh, misjustice to light. Uh, it is because of you that we are here. Um, I want to ask you about Alex Acosta's press conference. First of all, is there anything that you heard that he said that you do not think to be true? Well, there were a number of things, and I, he managed to present it in a way that it sounds true if you really don't read the court records and understand the sequence of events. Uh, I guess there's a lot to unpack. There are two areas, I think. Number one, his uh, argument about the evidence and whether there were adequate uh, uh, witnesses, if the witnesses were strong enough to testify. Uh, look, he didn't need all 30. He had 36 girls who all told the same story, which is amazing. And, you know, I talked to only a handful of them, and they all said, you know, exactly what the MO was. You know, Sarah would call me. We would set it up for 3 o'clock. I went into the kitchen. We went up this curving stairway. I mean, you know, it isn't just the witnesses and whether they were scared to testify, which, by the way, I heard one of the lawyers mention, you know, it is the job of the prosecutors to make them feel secure enough to testify. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that that's one thing. And then the second part of this whole thing is the secrecy involved. If this was such a great deal and this was the best they can do, then why didn't they tell the victims? Why didn't they answer the victims' phone calls? These victims had to hire attorneys specifically to get the prosecutors to answer their phone calls. Uh, that doesn't make sense. He, he mentioned something about this meeting, which was very suspect that he had with one, a private meeting that he had with one of uh, Epstein's defense The breakfast attorneys. meeting at Marriott breakfast, with uh, Jay Lefkowitz. Right. Yeah. And he, he tried to p- paint that in a way that it isn't really accurate. Yes, he's correct. There was a deal that was signed in September, but there were other aspects of that deal that were, he mentioned an addendum. That's key. There was an addendum that was still being negotiated. And also the part about not informing the victims wasn't written into that agreement. That was what they discussed at that meeting because Mr. Lefkowitz wrote a a letter to uh, Mr. Acosta after the meeting saying, thank you for the meeting. I'm glad we had this discussion. And here's what we agreed to. And if you read that, one of the things that they agreed to was that they weren't going to tell the victims. So he's he's sort of dancing around it by saying, well, we had a piece of paper signed in September. The reality is uh, that there were a lot of things that that Epstein's lawyers were still fighting for. They really wanted Mm -hmm. this to go uh, back to the state. 
which is exactly what happened. They got what they wanted, mm-hmm. and uh, Mr. Costa relented and did give it back to the state. So a lot of things he said that don't necessarily uh, pass the scrutiny of somebody who has spent so much time studying the court records. The, the case was much stronger that he's making it appear, uh, and, and so on. Let me ask you, he did put a lot of br- blame uh, Acosta today at the Palm Beach County Attorney's Office, the state attorney's office there, saying that if it hadn't been for the U.S. attorney, uh, he would have, uh, Epstein would have gone free. Is that accurate? Well, it is accurate. Um, Barry Krischer, uh was ready to basically let him off, uh, and it, it, that was one of the consternations of the two police, uh, the, the police detective, Joe Carey and the police chief, were just um, flabbergasted that, they were gonna, that he was going to let them off. Um, he also, the grand jury that, uh, that happened, um, they, I think they only called one witness. They didn't even give the grand jury the evidence that the Palm Beach police had, cl- had collected. So at that part of it is true. But uh, does that mean you still can't prosecute him federally when you know that this is, when you find out that this is a sex operation involving recruiters and schedulers and pilots and drivers and money men who paid the girls? I mean, that, that's a federal that's a federal sex trafficking crime. It's an organization. So to put it back and say, well, you know, the state prosecutor didn't do his job. We are the heroes now because we took the case over and then give it back to the state prosecutors. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then let me ask you also, Julie, Acosta was asked today about the decision not to tell the victims about the plea deal ahead of time, which is against the law as found by a federal judge earlier this year. I want you to listen to part of his explanation. And the concern, and these are the words of the career prosecutor, that, quote, she did not want to share with the victims that the office was attempting to secure for them the ability to obtain monetary compensation, because she is aware that if she disclosed that and the negotiations fell through, Epstein's counsel would use this to question the victim's credibility. What was your response when you heard him say that? Well, there's two problems with that org, uh, argument. First of all, uh, before the deal was uh, at the point where Epstein appeared in court and actually was sentenced, uh, she didn't have to tell them that there was an, a, the restitution provision, which, by the way, I've also been told was extremely unusual because they basically said that they w- that an attorney would be hired and paid for by Epstein to handle these restitution cases, which is a conflict. I mean, you're having the, the perpetrator pay the legal fees for the lawyer who's supposed to get these women money, and that whole thing is another whole problem. But uh, nevertheless, they didn't have to tell them early on that they, about the restitution provision. They could have still said, we have a plea agreement and we're working on this plea agreement, number one. And number two, when they got to the sentencing part of it, then what's their excuse? They're not going to trial. What's their excuse then for not telling them about the whole plea deal? You can tell them at the point where you know you're not going to trial, and they didn't do that either. All right, Julie K. Brown of the Miami Herald, uh, congratulations again on the justice that you are bringing uh, to the world because of your investigative series. Uh, uh, it's really remarkable, and, and I, uh, I just want to thank you. Thanks for having me, Jake. All right. Coming up, much more on our breaking news coming up. What Secretary Acosta said when our Caitlin Collins asked if he would make the same deal today. Stay with us. 
We're back with breaking news. Labor Secretary Alex Acosta fiercely, unrepentantly defending his role today in securing a plea deal for Jeffrey Epstein in 2008. Acosta insisting that the deal he cut as U.S. attorney was a more certain outcome than taking the case to trial. But he stopped short of saying that he would make the same decision again today. CNN's Caitlin Collins asked Acosta about that this afternoon. Caitlin, what else did Acosta have to say? Well, Jake, that was one of the main questions reporters have for the labor secretary. Does he regret the way he handled that? That was a defense the president used in the Oval Office, saying sometimes attorneys or judges don't like the way they handled something. But today, Alex Acosta refused to repeat answer directly repeated questions about whether or not he would have changed his course. These questions are always very difficult because we now have 12 years of knowledge and hindsight, and we live in a very different world. Today's world treats victims very, very differently. Today's world does not allow some of the victim shaming that could have taken place at trial 12 years ago. Today's world understands that when interviewing victims, when eliciting testimony, that testimony can be sometimes contradictory, that memories are difficult. And so I don't think we can say, you know, take a case that is this old and fully know how it would play out today. Now, he says it's this old. We should note it was only made 11 years ago. And though he said today's world treats victims differently, Jake, we should also note that under his watch, around the same time this plea agreement was negotiated, there were several other sex trafficking cases brought that resulted in much tougher sentences, even though none of those had dozens of victims like this one did. All right, Caitlin Collins outside the Justice Department. Thank you uh, so much. Uh, Let's uh, let's uh, talk about this right now. First of all, uh, uh, Barbara Comstock, um, let me ask you a question. When you hear Acosta say that today's world is very different than the world of 2007, 2008 when it comes to victims, you've worked on anti-trafficking legislation. You worked at the Justice Department under Bush. You know Acosta. Is that true? Is there more of an understanding uh, of, of victims and different, I mean, whatever issues he's talking about? Well, over the past 10 years when I was in the State House and in Congress, we have passed lots of anti-human trafficking legislation to improve the situation. I've talked to dozens of victims, and that's why I would ask and even beg that we focus on the women here, first and foremost, in getting them justice and kudos to the reporting on this, and that this is now being prosecuted again. Epstein, there's all kinds of things you can go at him on, financial things. How did he make his money? You know when someone's engaged in all kinds of activities like this, there's a money trail that's probably criminal. That needs to be looked at. I would hope somehow somebody could freeze his assets right now. So all of these young girls who were victimized by him, who should not be blaming themselves, that broke my heart to see that girl blaming herself for not coming forward. That's something that these predators, you know, due to them. That's the, you know, the secondary victimization. So none of these young girls should be blaming themselves. They need justice. I'd like to see that Epstein financially bankrupted. And then we need to do DOJ congressional investigations of how this case was handled on the state and federal level. Yeah. I think that all, there needs to be a lot. There was a beginning of discussion today, but there needs to be a lot more that goes into it. But first and foremost, let's focus on these young girls and getting them justice. I'm confident there's a lot more victims out there 
And there's a lot more people who knew about things, mm -hmm. who procured these girls, and who also should be brought to justice. So, Abby, from your perch at the White House, you have covered the president as he has faced allegations, not from minors, but from women. Uh, and I can't say that they were treated with tremendous respect by the world. And the idea that there is no victim blaming in 2019 is completely preposterous for anyone who's been paying attention. So it is uh, puzzling. I mean, and Caitlin's point is really important. There were other cases at that time that were prosecuted. So I think it's hard to believe that somehow the world is so dramatically different. Yes, we're talking about it more. Maybe we're paying attention to it more. But victims face the same challenges that, uh, today as they did uh, then. And, uh, and this administration actually, frankly, has kind of a problem with this. This is a president who, when he's asked about women accusing him of sexual assault, says, they're not my type. And that's where they start on this issue. And it makes it harder for them to have credibility on it in, in a case like this. And I think Alex Acosta was reaching for an, ex an excuse or some explanation for what happened. Uh, it seems that what's really going on here is that uh, Jeffrey Epstein is an extraordinarily wealthy, powerful, politically mm. connected person. That's why he believed uh, it was going to be a gamble, a roll of the dice to take this to a court as opposed to settling it. And Ryan, uh, Acosta was urged to, to do this press conference by President Trump. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, he is trying to save his job. Who knows if it worked or not? How do you think he did? Well, no, I think the consensus is that it wasn't so great for him. I mean, the fact that he couldn't answer Caitlin's very important question, would you still do this deal today, means he can't defend the deal. If you can't say you would do it again, you can't defend it. And, I mean, politically, what you know, I guess there's a question about whether he will resign after this or not or whether the White House will push him out. It doesn't seem like it's in anyone's interest to have him sticking around, right? It doesn't seem like the White House has much of an interest in this story festering for them, especially given the credible accusations against President Trump. A lot of de most Democrats are now on the side of calling for his resignation. He's had connections to Democrats, which is going to be a political issue uh, go going forward. There are eight Democrats that voted to confirm him when a lot of these facts were known. Mm -hmm. um, and. I don't. What's the what's in the interest for Acosta to stick around and and and, and sort of you know take this uh, take this level of criticism? So I would be surprised if he's the labor secretary. I mean, there are a lot of people who could do that job. If you were advising President Trump, what would you tell him to do? Cut him loose. Yeah. <laughs> now, sir. Now, now. The labor department, it came out in the press conference. The labor department, one of its many massive uh, duties, is to crack down on human trafficking, yeah. enforcing some of these laws that, that Barbara was talking about. Part of that enforcement is a fund that Congress set up to give grants to foreign countries where sex trafficking victims are coming from, where they're essentially enslaved. Uh, this makes me proud as an American. Mr. Acosta, Secretary Acosta, the Trump administration, called to cut that fund by 80%. He was asked about it at the press conference. He said, well, that's just Washington. Congress put the money back in. It's no big deal. When you have a record like that mm -hmm. of giving a wrist slap to a sex trafficker, and now your job is to enforce the laws on sex trafficker, and you're trying to repeal the money Congress is giving you to do it, yeah, I think it's a pretty good case you ought to go. And, right. and as Barbara knows, this has been a huge issue for conservatives, especially right. in the evangelical community. Over have, the last have, decade. And, so, and that's why and it has been a bipartisan issue yes, that has. we have worked yeah. together on. And it so but when, please yeah. let's focus on these women on the, on the and ver, getting the them survivor. justice because we've talked a lot about these guys, you know, and the Trump administration secretaries come and go every week. So, you know, I, I think the real important thing here is how these women are going to get justice. Everyone stick around. President Trump says he could no longer work with him. And now the British ambassador is going out the door. But major questions remain about the impact of what he said about President Trump. Stay with us. 
The 2020 lead now. Today, another Democratic candidate is cozying up to the freshman congresswoman who has become something of a progressive phenomenon. By that, I'm referring to New York City Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, with whom Senator and presidential candidate Kamala Harris is today introducing legislation aimed at helping people with criminal records get housing. As CNN's Kyung La now reports, many Democratic presidential hopefuls want AOC's progressive star power, with perhaps one notable exception. Senator Kamala Harris teaming up with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Harris and the freshman congresswoman introduced joint legislation aimed at helping people with criminal records fairly obtain housing. Planting a flag on the left as Harris hopes to highlight her progressive creds. It's called the unofficial AOC primary. 2020 Democratic hopefuls vying to be seen as Ocasio-Cortez's ally. And we're teaming up today. Elizabeth Warren has hailed her alliance with Ocasio-Cortez from this video slamming Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin to a more lighthearted conversation about gendered portrayal of women in Game of Thrones. I am delighted to be here with Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But Ocasio-Cortez has also formed ties with Bernie Sanders. They've teamed up on legislation and stumped together for progressive candidates in the 2018 midterms. There is no middle ground. As Sanders rallies progressives in his bid for 2020, Ocasio-Cortez has echoed his very words. I will be damned if the same politicians who refuse to act then are going to try to come back today and say we need a middle-of-the-road the approach to save our lives. That was an apparent reference to Joe Biden. He's questioned whether Ocasio-Cortez's political brand has mass appeal. I think Ocasio-Cortez is a brilliant, bright woman, but she won a primary. In the general election fights, who won? Mainstream Democrats who are very progressive on social issues and very strong on education, health care. In the crowded 2020 field, progressive Democrats believe Ocasio-Cortez's endorsement could help separate one hopeful from the rest. Earlier this month, Ocasio-Cortez signaled who's grabbing her eye. What I would like to see in a presidential candidate is one that has a coherent uh, worldview and logic uh, from which all these policy proposals are coming forward. I think Senator Sanders has that. I also think Senator Warren has that. Now, Kamala Harris is scheduled to arrive here in Brooklyn shortly. She is hosting a fundraiser here in New York tonight. And, Jake, this is the very first fundraiser where she is allowing reporters and cameras in. Jake. All right, Kengla in Brooklyn, thank you so much. Coming up, a pointed message from Speaker Pelosi about tweeting, but it was not aimed at President Trump. Instead, it was aimed at her own Democratic caucus. Stay with us. And we're back with our 2020 lead Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez becoming a key person in the Democratic race as multiple Democratic presidential candidates try to team up with the popular progressive. Uh, she's also a source of tension, uh, I should note. Uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, according to a source in today's caucus meeting, Pelosi said, quote, you got a complaint? You come and talk to me about it, but do not tweet about our members and expect us to think that that is just Okay, uh, I, I believe the that was. Don't go outside she, the I mean, she is not. Ha she is not on board with the AOC mania in in the party. This is you know this is. There's been several instances now where they butted heads. 
uh, when she's been asked in, in on-the-record interviews, she has been a little bit dismissive of AOC occasionally. And she's basically, you know, she's a little bit old school in this sense politically. You know, respect the seniority system, respect the leaders uh, in the House, and, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't uh, take to social media to settle, you know, to take your grievances there. Do it internally. Uh, um, Paula, how do you see AOC? Is she, is she a, a strength for the party? Is she a liability uh, in I'm, any ways? I bounce a huge strength. She's a phenom. She's a comet. She's amazing. But... She got where she is by winning a primary by getting precisely 15,897 votes. If you want to be president of the United States, you need about 75 million votes, many of whom don't live in the Bronx. Or the Queens, right. Or Queens, her district. Uh, What she did was really remarkable, and I don't take anything away from her. I think the Democrats are lucky to have her. But Nancy Pelosi understands that she got her majority, put AOC in the majority, by winning in places like Oklahoma and Utah and Georgia and Texas and Bronx socialism ain't going to play there. So Pelosi's right here, and AOC's a phenomenal gift and a great talent, but she's, she does need to listen to uh, our, our speaker, who's, who really knows what she's doing, who's trying to get the country moving in a progressive direction. And Congresswoman, I want to show you this video. Uh, today, protesters stormed Joe Biden's uh, campaign headquarters in Philadelphia. Organizers say uh, that these are immigrant, I guess it's a photograph, not a video. These are immigrant families separated during Obama and Biden's time in office. They want Biden to apologize for the separations that took place uh, at that period and and commit to ending all detentions and deportations if elected. I mean, you know, we we talk a lot about how there were also things going on uh, at the border and with uh, the undocumented community under Obama and Biden. Obama deported many more of them. And here you have a a group taking Biden on on the issue, a liberal group. Well, it is amazing that you have Nancy Pelosi, who is always really the far left wing, is now the middle of her party. And Joe Biden has been now recast as a right winger. (laughs) Um, I I don't see Joe that way, but that is where the party is going. And to have this socialist who's being universally praised and catered to, someone who hasn't passed any legislation, hasn't um, really had, um, aside from getting those 15,000 votes, has a a pretty sparse record. But I think uh, it just shows you how far left the party's gone. And also, uh, Abby, I want to show you this. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren was caught uh, in in a similar situation in the fact that with progressive activists coming to her, um, a a group of young American progressive Jews caught her at a campaign event uh, Monday. Uh, Take a listen. We'd really love it if you also um, push the Israeli government to end the occupation. Yes. Yes. Excellent. So I'm there. So we'd really love it if you also push the Israeli government to end occupation, referring to the West Bank. And and Warren says, yes, yes, so I'm there. That's a major foreign policy decision. Maybe, and, and it, you know, we shouldn't put it, to, put it past her that that is exactly what she meant. However, um, it just goes to show, I mean, these candidates are being confronted, not just on the right, but on the left. And, and these activists are uh, getting in their faces, asking these questions, putting it on video. We saw this in this 2016 campaign with Hillary Clinton. It makes a big difference. Uh, uh, in California, it, uh, on, on the environment, people are being caught up with that, too. It's a big problem. People have to be prepared. And be sure to tune in to the next Democratic presidential primary debates only on CNN. My colleagues, Dana Bash and Don Lemon, join me in moderating both nights, July 30th and 31st. That's live from Detroit, Michigan. Coming up, how concerned should our allies be after President Trump's insults forced the British ambassador out the door and out of a job? Stay with us. 
We're back with our worldly, the British ambassador who sent private cables highly critical of President Trump resigned this morning. Sir Kim Derrick endured days of personal and public attacks by the president after a series of diplomatic memos leaked where Derrick said President Trump, quote, radiates insecurity, among other observations. CNN national security reporter Kylie Atwood joins me now. So, Kylie, so what's the deal? There's no U.K. ambassador to the U.S.? Well, there is. So Ambassador Derek said he is going to be resigning. He made that very clear in the letter that he wrote this morning, saying that it became impossible for him to do his job after these leaked cables and after the response from President Trump on Twitter himself. But the question here is, who are is who are the Brits going to put to fill these shoes? And obviously, this was a very abrupt situation. And so uh, government officials in Britain are still trying to figure this out. Over the coming days, they're going to decide if the deputy ambassador is going to take over or if it's going to be someone new who they're going to name as the official ambassador. But right now, in though, though Ambassador Derek is going to be resigning, he's still the official ambassador to the U.S. And Kylie, outgoing British Prime Minister Theresa May, she stood by Derek, the foreign secretary standing by him. But it did, does seem as though a possible successor to May, Boris Johnson, uh, did not in a debate. He, he gave an ambiguous statement. Did that play any role in the decision to resign? It played a critical role. So a senior official on the British side is telling us that in watching that, the ambassador recognized that he would not have the vote of confidence from his home government if he decided to stay in this role, because Boris Johnson could very well become the prime minister just by the end of this month. So it wasn't only the pressure from the U.S., but it was also the pressure from his own government that they weren't going to back him. All right, Kylie Atwood, thank you so much. Appreciate it. A parade of champions through the eyes of their young, inspired admirers. That's next. In our sports lead today, the team that not only redefined dominance in its sport, but is changing the game for the cause of equal pay in America. They celebrated their World Cup win with a parade in New York City today, and the generation hoping to follow in the footsteps of these amazing soccer players lined the streets for a chance to see their role models up close. That was super exciting. Like, that was the best day of my life. I love how everyone comes here to support these women that are much more better than everyone else. I like how they're really good friends and they work together. Like, and, like, we're a good group, our soccer team. We look up to them and want to be like them when we're older. They're an inspiration. I mean, they win the World Cup. They're winning games left and right. They're fighting for equal pay. I mean, what more can you ask for? They're fighting for what's right on and off the field. They show that no matter what, women don't have to conform to stereotypes made by society. They don't care. They are just trying to do the right thing, and they will do that no matter what. And I think they're trying to set us up for success, and they're doing a great job. Good to see. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thank you so much for watching. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. 
Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.